and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is yet time for another glorious and awesome edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I am always your humble yet glorious host, the ace of Tennessee sports broadcasting and podcasting. Michael Shibley. Hope you guys have had a wonderful week. Man, it is finally spring, and weather is finally starting to warm up, at least here in Knoxville. I don't know about all the bomb cyclone stuff going off in the Great Plains. Uh, That's kind of nasty. This isn't a weather podcast, but hopefully everybody there is doing well. But man, we've got another, as always, gigantic show to talk about here on Modern Day Gladiators. Of course, plenty of March Madness is finally wrapped up as we are into April now. We've got playoffs starting in the NBA, the NHL, Tennessee with big coaching news. We'll talk about all that. And of course, the wrap-up of everything that happened in New York, New Jersey, in the wrestling world with WrestleMania and the the indie shows that went there, and everything that happened with the Ring of Honor and New Japan Super Show. So all of that, big, big show. But of course, we've got to start here with NCAA March Madness as it has wrapped up. And congratulations to the Cavaliers of the University of Virginia. They are your men's national champion. They defeated Texas Tech in the finals, 85-77 to in overtime to win their first ever national championship. Again, another incredible game. Everything pretty much from the Sweet 16 on was just awesome in the men's tournament. It was great to see. And again, another one where in a game like this, We were almost, there were so many jokes with everybody was expecting first to 45 wins because both Virginia and Texas Tech play lockdown defense. So people were expecting that, and it got off to a rough start. I think after the first media timeout, I think it was 3-2, to I think was the, the lead. But they both opened up. They were able to go on some scoring runs, which was great to see. The Cavaliers had a 10-point lead, and then it turned it into a three-point deficit in the second half, but the Cavaliers were able to make the comeback. The Andre Hunter, the pretty much now surefire NBA lottery pick, he had a career-high 27 points, 9 rebounds, made the vast majority of that in the second half. I think 22 of his points were in the second half. He started the game 1 for 8, so the fact that they were able to come back and do that, they hit... Uh, the uh, game tying three Hunter hit it with 12 seconds left. There was a great block to send the game into overtime. There was just some great stuff there. Uh, Kyle Guy, who had the most outstanding player of the uh, final four, he had 24 points. He uh, he was the guy also who sank the big three free throws against Auburn. So again, and you can talk controversy about that. We'll talk about the officiating here in a little bit. But just again, what a redemption run for the University of Virginia when it comes to this. And by the way, they were clutch in overtime. They went on an 11-0 run in overtime, and they hit 12 for 12 of their free throws in the extra frame. So that's why they were able to win 85-77. to And again... You talk about the redemption. This was the Virginia team. Pretty much the whole team was the same one coming back that lost last year to the 16-seed UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. It was just amazing to see the Retrievers, what they were able to do to UVA. And you look at when you're at that impasse where you get a team, they can either 
fold it, pitch it, and just be done, and that can just wreck a franchise for a long time, or you can come back from it, and that's what Virginia did. They had another great regular season. They lost, I think, only three games. They lost to Duke twice and Florida State in the ACC Championship Tournament. So, But other than that, they were playing great basketball. They were a number one seed again. But you look, and things didn't start out great. They were down 14 points to Gartner-Webb, the next 16 seed that they were playing. But then they came back and won that one. They took care of business. They ended up blowing out Gardner-Webb. Then you look at what happened. They had the unlikely win versus Purdue with just the, the, the tap back on the missed free throw with then the three-quarter court pass to make the shot to send the game into overtime. Then they play Auburn, which is, again, another back. They were down in all of these games, Purdue, Auburn, and uh, Texas Tech. They were down in all of them, I think, with about a minute to go. So you just look at that, having a senior-laden and experienced backcourt really helped there. It was just amazing to see. you got to credit Tony Bennett for rallying this club, keeping them together, Again, hats off to the Cavaliers. What just an amazing turnaround. This is one of those redemption stories you make movies about almost when it comes to it. Because again, that loss to the Retrievers of UMBC last year, by far the most humiliating loss in NCAA tournament history. That's not even a doubt. A one seed had never lost to a 16 seed before. So you have that. And this is also the the, the same team that had Ralph Sampson back in the back in the uh, early 80s where he was the best player by far in the NCAA back then they lost to at the time NAIA Chaminade they're the school that always hosts the Maui Invitational the Silver Swords of Chaminade somehow beat the top ranked Virginia Cavaliers back then so that's what Virginia basketball for so long had been acquainted with is that loss, and now the 16 seed loss. But now they're national champions, and Tony Bennett, pay him what he wants. That was just amazing to get this club just to rally back, stay together, and go on this run. And again, yes, there was luck involved. They didn't play a one or two seed throughout their run, but again, they were able. They were down at the end of the games, and they were able to rally and come back and find ways to win. And hey, sometimes... It's just in the stars. The destiny was there, and it looked like that's what happened with the Cavaliers. And again, a great game. It was fun to watch, but seriously, can we stop starting these games at 9.20? Some of us have to get up really early to work in the morning, and especially after the long marathon I had to put up with the day before with WrestleMania, which I'll get into later. It's, It's exhausting. Put it on an hour earlier. I don't know why uh, CBS and Turner when they have these games on, decide that they want it to start so late. It's just exhausting, especially when I think 75% of the population live in the eastern and central time zones. So it's just tiring. Stop doing it. Of course, there were some controversial calls that we talked about. You talk about in the the Auburn game with Virginia. You had the the officials missed a double dribble. They also missed that people were... talking about whether the foul occurred when they were shooting the three, if it was a foul or not. Really, when you look at the foul, it was a foul. He was going into the guy. He landed where the guy was supposed to land. It was guy, by the way. And that's a foul. Whether you want to call it or not, it was a foul. The double dribble, yes. But then you also, of course, have the whole monitor incident 
where the ball was knocked out and it touched the Texas Tech player's pinky on the way out. They took far too long to review that. We need to come to a point, and I think with with instant replay, they need to come to a point, and I, hopefully they're working on this, with both what happened with the Rams-Saints game, with what happened with a lot of this stuff. When you go to the monitor and you take a look at things, whether it's a call or no call, there needs to be some sort of time limit. Because really, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, I think with replay, you need to have it be almost where the replay's there to turn over egregious things. Because forever, you talk about playing basketball on the street, that ball knocked out like that, whether it grazed the pinky or not, it's going to go back to Texas Tech. That's the way that has always been, where the ball gets knocked out. And you don't have just so much time just to zoom in and do frame by frame analysis if you can't if the referees can't take 30 seconds or less to take a look at something to say oh that was the wrong call we need to overturn this then it shouldn't be overturned if you need to take that long to do it it just kills the momentum it kills so much of the drama get rid of that I think in all aspects, in all sports with instant replay, if you if the referee looking at it can't make a decision within 30 seconds, just don't, nope, then the call stays what it was called on the field because we don't have enough time to do this. So that's my opinion with it. I thought the officials were fine with, with everything else in the game. Besides, they could review it touching off the pinky, but they couldn't review the pretty much obvious foul that happened earlier that caused the ball to get stripped like that. So, again, it was a great game. It was a great moment. Great redemption for UVA, which is what matters. So hats off to the Cavaliers, true modern-day gladiators here in the arena of sport in that one. Also a hats off to Kim Mulkey and the Baylor Bears, the women's champions. They won over Notre Dame, the defending champs, 82-81 to in the finals. Baylor had to be resilient. They had a 17-point lead, and that just disappeared as their star forward Lauren Cox injured her knee. It looked like she had maybe torn something. Good news is it's just a sprain and just some rehab. She's not going to need any surgery. So that's good news for going forward. But as the game went on, we thought she was done and she did not return to the game. But Baylor relied on Chloe Jackson. She drove to the basket and uh, made the tie-breaking layup with 3.9 seconds left. Then Notre Dame gets the ball and their uh, star, Arike, Ogumbale, I believe I pronounced that right. She was last year's hero. She was sinking all those clutch shots both in the semifinals and the finals last year to essentially win both of those games for Notre Dame. And she was fouled, and she had two free throws. She missed the first, made the second, and then time expired, and Baylor is your national champs. But hats off for her and everybody involved with telling her, keep your heads up. You know, she deserves a standing ovation for her effort, not only from last year, but being there and owning up to missing the free throw and everything. And again, hats off, of course, to Kim Mulkey, her first championship in seven years for Baylor. Uh, She's won titles in 2005, 2012, and 2019. She's uh, only the third coach that has... Uh, three or more national championships now, the others, of course, being the late Pat Summit and Gino Ariema. 
So, again, another great game. These have been just great games in March Madness now into April. It's been wonderful to watch, and the ratings have shown. Ratings were up on ESPN, which was great, and also ratings were up on CBS. Of course, now they moved the game uh, from TBS, I believe, last year back to CBS, as they seem to every year alternate. One year it's on CBS, one year it's on cable on either TNT or TBS, but Ratings were up 23% because it was on CBS because, again, not everybody, especially now in the age of cord cutting, has cable in that way anymore. So having it on broadcast TV was great. However, it was still down 14% versus 2017. But these games have been wonderful. I am excited to see it. We have put a wonderful bow now on everything college basketball when it comes to everything on the court. So it has been a great season. I can't wait for the next one. Hopefully they do make some of these changes, like reducing trips to the monitor, maybe changing where the three-point line is, and also get rid of the fouls. Get rid of... Let the fouls reset after 10 minutes. If you're not going to go to a quarter system like in every other level of basketball besides men's college basketball, even women's college basketball is now in quarters, and where they erase fouls, the team fouls anyway, I would get rid of that because, again, you want to shorten these games. That's what they keep trying to do. So I would go to things like that. Meanwhile, in coaching news, everybody here on Rocky Top can breathe a huge sigh of relief. Everybody can exhale. Rick Barnes is staying here on Rocky Top. I haven't seen Tennessee fans this happy since 1997 when Peyton decided to stay for his senior season. Rick Barnes, he had gotten just a big push from UCLA with saying, hey, come coach here, come restore this once glorious program. I say once glorious because remember, UCLA has only won, yes, they won 10 national championships under John Wooden in a 12-year span pretty much. But they had only won one since John Wooden left in 1975. The last time they won a national championship was 1995. I'm sure some of you listening to this weren't even born in 95. So that's something to keep in mind. And so they've been to some Final Fours. Yes, they had Kevin Love. They've gotten to Final Fours. They've done that. But they have not won the big one since 1995. And before that, it was 1975. So yes, UCLA, a proud, great, traditional basketball blue blood. But they have fallen on some hard times, even with Lonzo Ball there and the rest of the Ball clan. Of course, last year with the rest of the, or the year before with the Ball clan, that was a mess. But whatever. Anyway, they're offering Rick Barnes. They saw what he did restoring Tennessee to heights that the program really has not been to on a consistent basis. They say, hey, come here and rebuild this storied franchise. He was offered around $5 million a year, though when you compare it to even what he's making now or was making with Tennessee, it would still be less because of the taxes that you have out in the state of California. They also botched some things where they said he would have to pay his own buyout, so which... To do that, they were going to give him, a Rick Barnes, a $4 million signing bonus, even though with taxes, it wouldn't have been nearly enough to cover the full buyout. So instead, he, he said he was going to think about it. One of the other things UCLA did was they didn't talk to uh, athletic director Philip Fulmer here at Tennessee as the courtesy that you usually have with that and say, hey, we want to talk to and get permission to talk to uh, your coach there about maybe coming to this. So after all of that, which is bad for UCLA, uh, Rick Barnes and Philip Fulmer, they talked, they worked out a deal, 
and it looks like he's going to get paid probably maybe the third highest as of right now uh, head coach in the country just behind John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski, of course, with some of these guys, with Beard at Texas Tech and with Bennett at Virginia, they might be getting some raises here in the next little bit as well. Uh, Rick Barnes decided to pray about it, and he decided that with everything, he's going to stay here in East Tennessee. He and his wife apparently just love the area, which is part of it. It's one of the reasons General Nealon never left either. They loved the area back in the day. Uh, Also, Coach Rick Barnes could probably eat free for the rest of his life in Tennessee as plenty of restaurants and also the Knoxville Ice Bears and the Tennessee Smokies, some of the minor league uh, hockey and baseball programs here in the area have offered him free food and free admittance to everything. I'm sure where I work at the bowling alley, we'll let him bowl for free whenever he comes down there because he decided to stay. So that's got to be a perk there for Coach Barnes. I'm glad he stayed. Um, that might give some sway to see if both Jordan Bone and Grant Williams might decide to stay. I think if he had left, that would have given them more precedent with their testing the waters in the NBA draft to maybe decide to go. So we'll see how that all goes. But again, it would UCLA botched this in a big way with some of the tactics that I've talked about. And to to Tennessee fans like me, it's just good that some other school is completely botching a coaching search, which makes me really happy because we've had enough problems with coaching searches here on Rocky Top in the last few years. I didn't want to have to go through another one. So I'm very happy that Coach Barnes is staying. Tennessee, even with Grant Williams and Jordan Bone, if they leave, Tennessee, I think, would still be a top 25 program with some of the recruits we've got coming in and, of course, everybody that's staying. But now Jordan Bone and Grant Williams, if they come back, Tennessee could be a top 10 program again. And I'm very excited to see all of that. And we'll see where it goes. UCLA did get Mark, or, uh, I'm sorry, Mick Cronin. Uh, he was the coach at Cincinnati. But he's going to get less money than what they were going to offer uh, Rick Barnes. So we'll see what happens there. The Pac-12 is just a mess. I mean, the only... The only team worth their salt was Oregon, and they were a 12 seed because they had had such a tough uh, road to go. But hats off to Dana Altman out there, especially after losing Bull Bull, their star center, to injury, that they were able to rally get into the NCAA tournament and make the Sweet 16. So hats off to them. But the Pac-12 is a mess when you look at now what the SEC's got with Rick Barnes. You've got Tom Crean. You, you, you've got John Calipari. Buzz Williams is now at Texas A&M. Uh, you've got uh, Eric, uh, Nick Musselman, the, the the coach at Nevada, is now at Arkansas. There's a lot of great coaches. We'll see what happens with LSU. So, again, the SEC, coaching-wise, I think is loaded. All that SEC network money can't all go to football. Some of it's got to go to the other sports. So I'm very excited to see where all of that goes. And happy Rick Barnes is back on Rocky Top and staying here for the foreseeable future. That's going to wrap up this first half of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys again for tuning in. And of course, you can follow us everywhere on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. Just look up Modern Day Gladiators on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like, give us a follow. You can interact with us there. That's awesome to see. 
Also, of course, everything on Outlander Media, we are everywhere. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify, so you can listen to everything there. Also, you can just go to outlandermedia.net. You can check everything out there. You can listen to all the podcasts. we got a nice media player there. And, of course, as always, wherever you listen, and if you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, share, all of that great stuff. Give us those five-star reviews. Rate, review, and subscribe. All of that will be a big help. That's how we get word out. If you think we reek of awesomeness, we want you guys to share us with the world. We try and bring the best to you every week. But again, that's going to wrap up this first half. We'll be back with shibbles and bits and everything about WrestleMania and everything surrounding it right after this. Again, this is Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, it's just like Inspector Clouseau, just searching around looking for that lost Pink Panther diamond. It is time for Shibbles and Bits here on Outlander Media with the show Modern Day Gladiators. Man, it is good to be back. And of course, we're talking shibbles and bits. You hear the music, so you know it's about everything else kind of going on in the sports world in the last little bit that we've noticed and have been paying attention to. Of course, we got to start real quick with Tennessee news that has come out. Tennessee is to hire uh, Kelly Harper, formerly known for everybody uh, when she played at UT as Kelly Jolly as the new head coach of the women's basketball program. She was the Again, the point guard for the three-peat 96 through 98 uh, Lady Vols, of course, led by all the Meeks. So you had, you know, Shamika Holtzclaw and Tamika Catchings and Samika Randall and all of them. She was the point guard for that. Uh, she was the former coach at Missouri State. She also formerly coached at Western Carolina and NC State. Uh, two NCAA tournaments at Missouri State. Uh, took them to the Sweet 16 this past year as a number 11 seed. She's 285 and 208 as head coach. It is good to have a former Lady Vol, I think, in with the program, especially because the person it looked like Tennessee was after to begin with was Jeff Walls, uh, the Louisville head coach, but looks like he turned them down, obviously. Uh, he's got a good thing going at Louisville. One of the things, I think, when it comes to now philosophy – for coaching and making decisions is, yes, the allure of a great traditional program that might not be exactly where it is, but still a high power. That's great, but if you've got a good thing going, it's where the coaches are now for a lot of places. Yes, having a great coach at Kentucky with John Calipari there is great, but if they still had Billy Gillespie, it's not the same allure. Yes, sometimes the traditional powers and going to a legendary program still carries some weight, but not as much as it might have. You think Alabama would be the same and have the same allure to all those prospects if Nick Saban wasn't there and they were still with Mike Shula? No, it's not going to be that way. Coaches drive where a lot of these players go. And that's just the nature of it. The school could be great, and that could be an allure. You could have family ties and, again, the tradition. But who you're going to coach under, and has that coach been successful, and that coach's track record has a lot. 
We'll see what Kelly Harper is able to do. She's tough. We know that. She tore her ACL before, I believe, the 96 season, 96-97 season, and came back, I think, three months later and was able to play for the second half of that season with a the torn ACL. That's She rehabbed, I think, for six hours a day, plus going to class and doing all of that. And that's just the grit and determination that she had. We'll see how that translates into taking this young, obviously very talented group of ladies that we have with the Lady Vols and seeing if she can do more than what Holly Warlick was able to do the past couple of seasons. That's the big question. Because yes, it was a low bar for Tennessee, but Tennessee has still made every NCAA tournament. They've still been able to do a lot of things that a lot of other programs do not have the consistency to do. We'll see if Kelly Harper is able to do that. I'm willing to give her a shot with it. And again, my hat's off. Welcome back to Rocky Top, Kelly Harper. And I am rooting for you to do very well. We'll see as this new season will start uh, in late 2019. But let's we're willing to give her everything that she needs at this point. So... Hats off there. Also on the Tennessee sports front with the finished count of the Vol report here, baseball and softball team both dropped two of three in their weekend series against SEC opponents. The baseball team dropped two of three at home versus Mississippi State. It doesn't get much easier for them as they host Georgia, the number two ranked team in the country right now, according to Baseball America. Tennessee did get back on track with another win. They beat Lipscomb last night. They did have and tie a program record seven home runs in that game, including back-to-back-to-back home runs, I believe, in the first inning. So that's good, but let's see if it can translate into a series win over Georgia. And again, the Lady Vols also dropped two of three at home versus number 13 Auburn. The softball team still in the top 10. They've got Mississippi State this weekend at home. They should win definitely two out of three, maybe even get the Caesar, the uh, series sweep there. So have all that going on. A couple of other things going on in the national world of sports. The NHL playoffs, they're starting this week. When you get the option with there, the Tampa Bay Lightning have been by far the best team in the NHL this whole season. They've got, I think, 24 more points than the next closest team when it comes to points. But again, with the NHL, you can have the one seed lose and lose badly to the eight seed, depending on how hot those goaltenders are and how crazy things happen in the NHL playoffs. So when it comes to picking the Tampa Bay Lightning or picking the field, I'm going to go with the field every time in the NHL. I like what the Predators have been doing. They've won their last three. They won their division again. But I like another team as well, the Calgary Flames. I like to make a deep run in the NHL. But I don't have the Tampa Bay Lightning winning and hoisting the Stanley Cup. The NBA, a lot of crazy news. The NBA playoffs are going to start very soon here as well. And, of course, we'll talk more playoffs as they get underway next week on Modern Day Gladiators. But when you talk about the opposite of what the NHL is doing, where I'm going to take the field over the Lightning, the Golden State Warriors, I'm taking them over the field, even though, yes, they might have fallen back a little bit so far this season compared to seasons past. But, again, I think they're going to be able to turn it on and get that run to the playoffs and win their fourth championship in five years, which would just be amazing. So I'm going to go with them. Other crazy stuff going on in the NBA. Magic Johnson announced 
He called a press conference, not even in the media room, just called it, didn't even talk to Ginny Buss, uh, the Lakers president, and says he is leaving the Lakers as president. He's done. He's gone, or general manager, whatever his position was. The Lakers have become, at this point, a dumpster fire when it comes to almost everything, really. They were able to get LeBron, but again, yes, LeBron was hurt, but he got rid of so many of these other guys because they were trying to make room for maybe some other big free agent offerings. Who knows if that's even going to happen now? I thought the worst failure that Magic Johnson had was his late-night talk show, but that is not the case, obviously. This has just been a disaster. He talks about, of course, not being able to tweet what he wants and and collusion and all these other things. We're, I'm just tired of collusion talk, period, when it comes to everything going on in America. So that was something interesting, the fact that he just wants to go back to being Magic Johnson. Sure, he has every right to do that, but the Lakers, I don't know if they're better off than they were a year ago because they had all those young players, and now you've got LeBron and a bunch of these other guys. We'll see if they're able to get some sort of free agent big signing I have no idea. We'll talk about that. But you're going to need a GM, president, whoever is going to replace Magic Johnson. You need someone who's going to stand up to LeBron and be and say, look, yes, you have your opinion and that is great and I will value it. But here's what we need to be successful right now. Bringing your guys in and then leaving the mess behind. Look what it's happened to Cleveland at this point. Twice it's happened, and now look at the mess LA is in right now while you're on the team. It's someone who's got to have to counter and stand up to LeBron, who LeBron can't get fired like the head coach. So we'll see what happens there. Also, hats off to two great and future Hall of Fame players playing their final home games last night as of this recording. Dwayne Wade scoring 30 points in his final home game. There's a lot of emotion there. He had announced early in the season that this was going to be his last season. Great to have his kids there. His wife, Gabrielle Union, was there. And just another great moment. 30 points and a win. The Heat will not be making the playoffs. But, uh, again, it was a good way to send the fans home happy to, again, a wonderful Hall of Fame career that Dwayne Wade has had. And another Hall of Famer, Dirk Nowitzki, also scored 30 points in his last home game as the Mavericks won there. They brought out some players and some of his idols, like Scottie Pippen and Larry Bird and Detlef Schrempf, uh, one of his idols in Germany, to, to you know give him a found almost farewell. He did announce officially that this will be his last uh, season, so he's retiring as well. One of the greatest scorers of all time and by far the best foreign player to play so far in the NBA. So again, hats off to both of them. Surefire first ballot Hall of Famers. That's going to be a great uh, Hall of Fame class when they are both eligible, so that will be awesome to see. Moving on real quick to baseball news. Uh, news out of the White House that they have scuttled a uh, Major League Baseball agreement with the Cuban Baseball Federation. The agreement was to make it easier for Cubans to make it to play in Major League Baseball, uh, much like uh, with the, the deals that uh, Major League Baseball has had with Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, those baseball Federations where they have the different contracts and they're able to negotiate and do different things with these guys. So much of it was to stop the pretty much the human trafficking that the Cuban Baseball Federation, uh, well, not them, but the Cubans have to do to get out of Cuba. Because again, we have a trade block on so much stuff with Cuba. 
because, again, of their political leanings with the communism and all of that, the craziness that goes on down there, that these guys, you listen to the stories of Veraldus Chapman and the Hernandez brothers and Yasiel Puig and the fact that these guys got to escape in the d- dark of night and defect. And there's they've done so many stories now, too, on the pipeline of you know, nighttime boat rides and traveling through swamps and snake infested waters and all these different things just to get out of Cuba and get to the Dominican Republic or to get to America. And a lot of times these guys, they defect like that. There's a whole bunch of former Cuban baseball players who are living now pretty much in the Dominican Republic because they can't go anywhere else. They weren't good enough to make it into the major leagues here in America and they can't go back to Cuba. So they're stuck there, and this was to lessen that, but the the U.S. Treasury Department has said the Cuban Baseball Federation is part of the Cuban government, so giving them money for rights to these players' contracts is paying money to the Cuban government, which violates U.S. trade law, and again, a lot of this stems from the softening of uh, some of the, the barriers that we'd put on trade and... Uh, you know, softening of relations with Cuba over the Barack Obama era and their administration there at the end. And of course, with the Trump administration in, they don't like anything the Obama administration did. So they're going to just pretty much overturn everything, whether, and again, this really personally, I don't think has anything to do with the government. It's to help some of these players make a better living and make sure we're not human trafficking players. That's just not the way you should be doing things. And I just wish people could see that. But again, you've got a difference of opinion and it's just kind of a mess there. Speaking of a mess, the Orioles uh, first baseman and slugger, which I use in quotation marks at this point, Chris Davis has set a new record and one you don't want to have. He has now gone 0 for 49 dating back to last season. His last hit was September 14th of last season. And he, he just broke the record of, it was I think 47 Plate appearances without a hit, going 0 for, and now he's 0 for 49. He, this is just amazing because he led the majors in 2013 with 53 home runs. He led the the majors again with 47 home runs in 2015, and that let the Orioles, uh, and he was able to leverage that into getting the Orioles to sign him to a seven-year, $161 million contract. It's $23 million a year, and they're paying this guy. And last year, he set a record of, he bat 168. That's the lowest ever by a qualified hitter in Major League Baseball. So you talk about greatness, and Joe DiMaggio with the 56-game hitting streak. This is just horrible when you talk about what has happened there is and again that is a mental thing at this point it has become it's not a physical thing my goodness that is just terrible to see and my Orioles who boy they have got a lot more problems than this but this is just the one that everybody's looking at and people are like well do you bench him what do you do with him honestly when he can play the Orioles aren't going anywhere at all this season anyway, I'd put him in the lineup, let him hit it, let him get a couple hits, get that out of his system. Then if you need to put him down in the minors for a couple of rehab starts or fixing things, do that. But don't just send him down with this still hanging over his head like the sword of Damocles. Put him out there, hopefully get a hit, and just shake it off 
and just get back on track. We'll see. We'll deal with the money at some point, but he's guaranteed all this money because, again, Major League Baseball, that's a guaranteed contract. Not like the NFL where if you're playing this terribly, they just cut you and say thank you next. That's not how this happens. So I'm rooting for him. I'm an Orioles fan, but you got to root for the guy anyway. Just get a hit, man. Just do it for everybody's sake in baseball. I mean, baseball, probably the hardest game really to play when you look at everything and making contact with the ball, but you'd think drunk on a bet you'll get a a hit in spanning two seasons at this point, but that just has not been the case. Good luck, Chris. I hope you do better and uh, turn the season around at some point, give the Orioles something good to happen because I don't see anything good happening for the Orioles at all. Finishing up here with Shibbles and Bits, the Masters is this weekend, a tradition unlike any other. As Jim Dan says, hello, friends. Welcome to the Masters. Should be another beautiful weekend down there in Augusta. You've got the picks. Tiger is back and finally looking to maybe be in contention. My pick, I've got him finishing in the top 10. I don't have him winning it, but I do have him with a top 10 finish. If I had to pick somebody, I'm going with Ricky Fowler. I think he's finally due to get a win like this, so I'm going with him. But other guys to look out for. Tommy Fleetwood, I think, would be a good one. And, of course, Rory McIlroy is the betting favorite right now to get his first green jacket, so look out for that. We'll talk more about the Masters uh, next week as it finishes here on Modern Day Gladiators. And that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. But, of course, now it's time to talk WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You gotta love the old WrestleMania theme. And, of course, Vince McMahon. Welcome, everyone, to WrestleMania! Woo! Let's just fade that out a little bit. There we go. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What a weekend it was for the wrestling world, and boy was it too long. Wow. Uh, I have watched a lot of wrestling over the last five days. It has been great to be a wrestling fan, but I am exhausted. I mean, the awesome, the correct people won. You talk about through everything. Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole, an incredible NXT championship match, two out of three falls, one of the best title matches I've seen. Again, Johnny Gargano paying off the storyline as well as they could with Tommaso Ciampa with the neck injury. So he is now your NXT champion, which was a great moment there. Uh, Kazuchika Okada beating Jay White at the end of the G1 Supercard to become a five-time IWGP heavyweight champion there in New Japan, so that was awesome. And of course, the trifecta with WrestleMania, and they did all three. I was worried they were only going to do two out of the three, but we got the results we wanted. Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. Becky Lynch in the main event of WrestleMania beating Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. And then, of course, you had Kofi Kingston beating Daniel Bryan to become WWE champion with another great story there. Daniel Bryan doing his part to do everything to get Kofi over, and it worked. The crowd was in it on that one. Man, that was wonderful to see. Great moments, the WWE doing the right thing and just listening to the fans and making good things happen. And that was what's better. Yes, WrestleMania, and we'll get into it in a sec, far too long. But the last few years, they have been just as long, but maybe with it's because Roman Reigns was involved in the main event picture, I don't know. 
But fans just weren't into it. The bad booking decisions, things like that were just not where they were for this. It was a feel-good moment. So when I look back at WrestleMania 35, it's still exhausting. But I will come back thinking how much better it was because the right people won and went over. And it was just good feelings all the way around. So I do like that. The whole NXT TakeOver card, that was also awesome. I mean, the tag match between the War Raiders and Aleister Black and Ricochet. Um, the North American title match with <laughs> the King of Bros, Matt Riddle versus the Velveteen Dream. Amazing. The the UK title match, uh just the bruiserweight, his reign has come to an end after, what, 685 days losing to Walter. So Pete Dunne no longer your United Kingdom champion. Walter is carrying that now, which again, he's a great throwback. He's awesome. I can't wait to see more of Walter. Uh, the Fatal 4-Way, Shayna Baszler uh, retaining her championship in that one, so you had all of that, then of course the main event, Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole, Baby, and Gargano getting the win in two out of three falls, that was amazing, the New Japan side of the G1 Supercard with Ring of Honor was great, it was awesome, all the New Japan matches were amazing, Charlotte Flair also showing up in a helicopter just like her dad did at the Great American Bash, I think 1985, that was a great throwback there, that was awesome to see, some of the bad things that happened, again, too damn long. WrestleMania with the pre-show was seven and a half hours. By the time the main event started, it was past midnight. So people have joked, just like what New Japan's doing, where a lot of these events that they do take place over two days. Well, WrestleMania, they think they should. It did take place over two days because it went past midnight. I think everything ended around 1230. So hit all of that. It's just exhausting, and that's why the crowd, while they were more excited than they were last year for the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match for the triple threat, they were still just exhausted, I think, by the end of it and couldn't get fully into it because, again, seven and a half hours is a long time to be doing anything. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, and I've talked about this before, how every other sport entity, football, basketball, baseball, Hockey, they're all thinking of ways to shorten the game time of everything, whether it be, you know, visits to the mound or a pitch clock or a quarter system, all these different things. They're trying to shorten it. WrestleMania is just like, let's go longer. Let's just keep going, which again is exhausting. It was almost two football games of length is how long it was, including the pre-show, which a lot of talking, you could get rid of so many of the backstage skits that I don't care about. That's the one good thing about Wrestle Kingdom. Yes, it might be five and a half, six hours long, but they just go match, 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 match. There's no promos. There's no nothing. There's maybe a little build to some of the big matches where they show you a pre-taped package that what led up to it. But other than that, they just have the matches, which I think is great. The Triple H match with Batista was the longest match on the card at 24 minutes. Had no reason to be that. Make it 15 minutes. That's all you needed it to be. That was just terrible. The Ring of Honor side of the super card, that was bad. The Ring of Honor guys definitely did not live up to the hype. I don't think a lot of the fans there in Madison Square Garden were as excited to see those guys and nearly as they were all the New Japan guys. And New Japan needs to stop doing some of this where 
They're booking a lot of American stars on all these tours. These guys want to see Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada, all of those guys. They want to see those guys. They don't need to see all the American guys because we can catch them in some of these other promotions. Uh, Raw and SmackDown, usually there's a lot of big movement and crazy things going on. They were not great. They were kind of disappointing, really, as a letdown compared to everything else that had happened over this five-day period. Lars Sullivan did finally debut, looking like the monster badass that he's supposed to be. Sami Zayn came back, got a great new character. We'll talk more about that as it gets evolved. Looking forward to that. Of course, the Superstar Shakeup is coming next week, so they're going to devote more time, I think, to that. Ronda Rousey, bad thing. She broke her hand uh, really badly, apparently, during the match with uh, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. And it looks like maybe that changed the ending of the women's match. Also, there was some controversy there at the end of the match where Becky Lynch gets Ronda Rousey in a crucifix pin, but it looks like Rousey's shoulders were up off the mat during the count. But still, Becky Lynch is your dual champion there. Enzo and Cass jump in the gate and trying to make a name for themselves. Looks like it was a work with Ring of Honor, but still Enzo and Cass, just nobody's really seeming to want them around right now, so that's not good. Meanwhile, the really crappy thing that happened was during the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony, some low-life schmuck decided he was going to attack Bret Hart, so he tried to tackle him during Bret Hart's Hall of Fame speech for the Hart Foundation. The man, 61 years old, stroke and cancer survivor, and this guy trying to do unwarranted attention and make some name for himself, don't even look at his Twitter stuff, it's terrible, uh, decides to attack him, credit all the wrestlers involved pretty much, which was bad. If you're going to attack a wrestler, even an old one like that, don't do it when other wrestlers are around because they did a number on the guy, and that's just bad all around. That was just terrible. It was a terrible situation, and Bret Hart doesn't deserve this. He's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, or at least he says that, so that was just a mess there. But again, congratulations to all the big new champs. A lot of new directions. We'll see. We'll talk about all these real quick. Johnny Gargano with NXT, Seth Rollins, the Universal Champion, over to New Japan, Okada, again, back as your IWGP heavyweight champion. Dragon Lee, the junior heavyweight champion. That was a great match. The The nine-minute match that he had with Bandito and Taiji Ishimori was amazing. You can't do a lot in nine minutes in wrestling. They put, I think, everything into that nine minutes. That was awesome. Check that out if you can. Kota Ibushi beating Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. That's great. That means probably Naito's going to move on maybe to challenge Okada for the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship. We'll see there. Finn Balor winning the Intercontinental title as the Demon at WrestleMania. Kofi Kingston, of course, your new World Heavyweight Champion in the WWE. Tony Nese, congratulations, winning the Cruiserweight Championship. Kurt Hawkins finally ending his losing streak just as bad as Chris Davis's has been in Major League Baseball. Uh, he and Zack Ryder won the Raw Tag Titles. The Hardys on SmackDown last night winning the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The Iconics winning the Women's Tag Title. I don't really agree with the switch, but I think they could be really good as champions. Samoa Joe retained his championship we did a great job of choking out Rey Mysterio in a minute, making Samoa Joe look like a badass. Uh, Kelly Klein winning the winning of Women's of Honor Women's Championship, and Matt Taven uh, winning the Ring of Honor World Title. So those are all your new champions, everybody else retaining in great matches. Just, again, 
a great weekend of wrestling, but man, was it exhausting to deal and go through all of that. I'm almost, almost wrestled out, but of course I'll be back full bore when we talk about the superstar shakeup coming up next week with the WWE. That is going to wrap up this glorious and phenomenal episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Listen again to everything we've got at outlandermedia.net. Listen to all the great shows, including Halfle, uh, DLC Respawn, Deadbeat Radio, Phantasm, everything else on the network. And be sure to tune in. We've got new shows and bigger and badder and expansion coming up with a lot of new things coming, so stick tuned to that. And, of course, follow everybody on social media as well. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five-star reviews. I'm Michael Shibley with Modern Day Gladiators. I'm out. Too sweet. I will see you next time.